0: This is not your grandma's Bible study. Hey y'all, we're back.
1: With a new microphone.
0: With a new fancy microphone. It's so nice. So hopefully, um, you can tell the difference, but also you can hear us, because apparently on our last episode, uh, I was a little quiet.
1: We didn't have it set up right.
0: Which is also nothing I've, I've never been accused of being quiet before in my life, so. First time. That was new, and it really meant a lot, um, So, oh, this is not your grandma's Bible study.
1: And we're not your grandma. We're not. I'm Jill. I'm Zach.
0: And uh, Zach's taking lead this week. Yeah. So I'm at it. I'm a good man.
1: Cool. So we're going to talk about Hagar or Hagar or maybe Hagar. Ooh. Ooh. So, uh, yeah, we decided that we would continue on with our uh, featured. Biblical character motif that we've kind of inadvertently stumbled upon. Yeah. So, uh, which I
0: like. Yeah, no, yeah. it's
1: definitely a good. Uh, it's a it's a good theme. I like it. So Hagar is an interesting character for a number of reasons, uh, but most for me, based on the scholarship that I'm working with right now for my dissertation, is about this idea of the stranger. So uh, let's let's get into that a little bit here in a second. But uh, so I'm gonna jump to you, Jill, okay. and ask. What? Uh, it, so again, this early theological introduction, upbringing. What? Uh, what did you hear about Hagar? Um, is,
0: well, I think we just maybe briefly, for those who don't know, some people haven't read these stories. Hagar is um, Sarah's slave. So Sarah of the Sarah and Abraham fame. Sarai. Or Sarai. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in her. She's not quite Sarah. She's yet. not Sarah yet. So Sarai, just know that if I call her Sarah, that's fine. Because I, we know who you're talking I'm about. Terrible. Um, who ends up because Sarai cannot conceive, in part because she's way postmenopausal. Um, so she decides, as would be the custom of the time, that Abram should have sex with her slave, and the child born of that union, she would adopt and become the heir. Um, Doesn't work out that way. Uh, I mean, she does have a child. It's Ishmael, but that's not the child of promise. um, Right. That's promised. The child of promise will come from Sarah's. So rise. (laughs) I'm just going to say Sarah. That's fine. Um, Sarah's womb. And um, even though she's postmenopausal, so miracle. Um, But anyway, so Hagar is the slave woman, and there's a lot of drama um, that she has to live with because of that. So I don't, I honestly don't remember Mm. any. Real discussion about her, as a, at least as a primary focus, I'm sure that there were stories around... That included her. That included would, her. Yeah. I can imagine, I don't remember explicitly, but just knowing sort of the the way in my tradition meaning was made of things. The reading would be, don't try to force God's hand. If God has promised you something, then God mm. will deliver. Um, so Hagar's plight was because of Sarah's lack of faith Mm. so in those kinds of ways it would be it's still more about Sarah as opposed to Hagar and the injustices and abuses that Hagar suffered uh, in this situation so and I can also imagine I don't I don't think that in the churches specific churches that I grew up in that anybody would encourage a woman um, suffering intimate partner violence would be encouraged to stay Mm. but I could see how this is a text that could be used to say God wants you to stay with an abuser. Yep. Um, And so that's why these texts should be read with care and with caution because they can be very, very dangerous, which we'll talk Mm -hmm. more about. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. So nothing specific, but some ways I can imagine it might have been talked about.
1: Sure. Sure. Yeah. For me, I, I, similar, I don't remember much. I think I remember at one point there was some discussion, but it was a very blip. I I know I remember talking about Hagar at some mm-hmm. point in Sunday school or you know some other church uh context but it wasn't definitely did not foreground Hagar right. as the subject and was very much to the side periphery mm-hmm. so uh which is also significant in yeah. that it's just not even talked about really um it's and that in you know, weird that something like this isn't talked about, but all sorts of other weird adaptations mm-hmm. of biblical stories that make it into Bible stories for kids gets yeah. talked about. Yeah. Anyway, that's a that's a whole other podcast yeah. episode.
0: I will also say, as I got older, and I don't think this was in churches per se, um, it was just in some things I remember hearing or whatever, this discussion um, at, in, in a dismissal of Islam is oh, yeah. because... so so Judaism and Christianity by way of Judaism traces sort of their, their lineage, whether historical or fictive through Isaac, the child of promise, but Muslims track it through Ishmael, the actual firstborn of Abraham. And so there's, you know, people who, who talk about sort of these, these Abrahamic religion religions as, you know, suffering from like sibling rivalry Mm -hmm. almost. Um, but it's often a way to dismiss of of saying, like, no, Ishmael wasn't the child of promise, so, the, so it's an illegitimate faith, or it's invalid, or their beliefs. And, I mean, if you don't ascribe to the teachings of Islam, that's perfectly fine. And if you do, that's also perfectly fine. Right. Um, those are your choices to make. Um, but I would like to remind readers that Ishmael and Hagar are promised blessings by God, the same God yep. who yep. chose Isaac. Yep. Um, so... If you don't want to like Islam, that's fine, but don't you dare use the biblical text to defend that position because it's not there. The position of the biblical text is that the descendants of Ishmael are thoroughly blessed by yep. God. Yep. So, anyway. So there you have it. There you have it. Thanks for listening. <laughs> See you next week. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> uh,
1: so, anyway, let's go back to talk about our name for a, a second here. So, if you look online, if you look through popular scholarship, uh, stuff that's maybe a little bit more accessible, you'll see that her name means to flee or even to be dragged away. Okay. Uh, that's what garar can mean. So, um, So her name is two things in Hebrew. So ha means the, or it's just the, it's the article. And then you've got this gar on the end of it. And so people have tried to figure out what's that pointing to? And so the
0: one who flees? Is the one who idea. flees,
1: the one who is fleeing, one being almost dragged away, potentially. Um, and they're looking, I think a lot of that comes from uh, Egyptian cognates and things like that. But uh, there's also another way to look at that, because you have, if you take away the pointings, which I realize is <laughs> part of the Masoretic text, but mm-hmm. if you take away the pointings, you have a gimel and a resh there, and there's a noun form called ger, ger. And that means stranger or sojourner or foreigner, or sometimes alien, depending mm-hmm. on what English translation you're reading. So really, you can actually get from, you can get ha gare out of her name. And so you get literally the stranger. And I think that really changes the way that we can understand uh, what she went through mm-hmm. and the context that she finds herself in and some kind of understandings for today, too, about yeah, what?
0: For our audience. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> can you briefly sort of just defend on why... It is a defensible move mm-hmm. to remove the pointings and and make it say something sure. different. That that's not just you <laughs> deciding you don't like.
1: I'm just going to make up the, my own What the Masoretes
0: said, uh, but how there is there is debate around.
1: Sure. That. So what Jill's talking about is that the the Masoretes were a group of scribes, scholars, people who we tradition has it still maintained the oral tradition of how to say everything that we have in the Old Testament Hebrew Bible. And using that, they developed a pointing system of vowels to help us understand how those should be pronounced. The problem with that is that's a reconstruction still. And so really, both in Greek and in Hebrew, when you look at the original manuscripts, you don't have pointings. Mm -hmm. You just have what are the consonants. And in Hebrew, that's the written letters. The vowels are the pointing and dots and lines and stuff underneath the characters. So if you have Hagar, what you actually have there is you just have a bunch of consonants there, and they have added the vowels in underneath it. So what I'm doing is playing with it and saying, well, this is the reconstructed Mm -hmm. vowel forms, and you're saying it's Hagar, and I'm not disputing that that's actually what tradition has. But at the same time, you you can read it a different way. And that's the beauty of Hebrew in that you actually can get variant readings out of all sorts of things because... The vowel pointings—if they just shift slightly, it totally it, everything. it moves. So, and I should point out too that I'm not saying that her name, meaning to flee or the one who flees, is wrong. I'm more saying that this is there's already a noun form there, mm-hmm. and since we're looking at a figure, so like you know, Avraham means great father, and so you're sometimes you have verbs in names, sometimes it's just the noun in the name. So, I'm. Playing fast and loose with the rules a little bit, but not breaking anything sacred.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, no, that's helpful. Um, I hope. <laughs>
1: so, yeah, that, no, that's a good question. So a real quick also background on Gare, on Stranger, since that's really what I've been working on for the last, probably last couple of years. So, um, like I said, in most English translations, you're going to see uh, probably Foreigner. Maybe Sojourner, Uh, if you're reading NIV, which I would strongly recommend you not do anymore. uh, That's probably Alien, Mm -hmm. uh, especially in Exodus and Deuteronomy and Leviticus. Um, I like Stranger for a number of reasons, just because it kind of captures a lot of all those things Mm -hmm. happening. So if you say someone's a stranger, they're probably a foreigner, they're probably somebody passing through, they're probably somebody who you don't know, which is what a foreigner is. Mm-hmm. And so, but it also adds in kind of a critical theory way of understanding a stranger at the same time because if someone's a stranger, there's really no point of contact that you have with them other right. than they're another person and especially if they don't speak your language. Mm-hmm. So, uh, anyway, the background on Gare. there's a whole bunch. It's it, You can find it in every single uh, book in the first five books, uh, but it shows up most in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. When this term appears in the Hebrew Bible, it was probably someone who was a non-Israelite living in Israel, right. um, there, which, again, the possible definitions uh, bear out. The thing that's important to understand is that it was probably more of a legal status than anything else Mm. so it wasn't so much this person was a gare it was kind of in understanding of the legality of them being there that they actually functioned in a different class so they couldn't own land they could participate in festivals they were supposed to be taken care of which we'll get to in a second but it's uh yeah it was really a demarcation of this person is not kin. This person is not from here. They, we don't know who they are, but we are going to allow them in our circle, in our community, and uh, we will uh, take care of them. Which was actually pretty rare for ancient Near Eastern yeah. cultures, because most people, most cultures, pretty much killed you on sight if yeah. if you were not from
0: there. That sounds familiar.
1: You you die uh, pretty quickly because they assumed that you were there to steal. You yeah. were there to get secrets and yeah. learn about where your, the armies were. And yeah,
0: I think we're all like familiar with having sort of tribal instincts is mm-hmm. a way to think about it. But I mean, some of that was, you know, what? 4,000, I mean,
1: oh, a while ago, you, a
0: while ago, like that was a real uh, concern. And mm-hmm. so, um, so it was kind of, I don't know if revolutionary is the right word, but a, unusual to see kind of built into the legal code of protection for strangers as opposed to right. a, just a general suspicion, distrust, and maybe murder of the mm-hmm. stranger.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. So let's let's look at uh, three uh, instances where it really shows up. There are actually, just, just so you know, if you were to do a word search in Hebrew for ger in the Hebrew Bible, it would pop up 92 times. So it actually shows up outside the... Uh, the Torah. I think there's some in Jeremiah. There's a whole bunch in the prophetic literature Mm -hmm. too, but it's mainly in the first five. But um, so Exodus 23, Deuteronomy uh, 10 and 16 are the main three. Um, And so 23, Exodus 23 is pretty interesting because that's where the, we get the famous statement of uh, 23, nine says, you shall not oppress a stranger. You know, the heart of a stranger for you were strangers in the land of Mm -hmm. Egypt, Um, which everyone likes to, to cite, but that's actually Legal code, like that's actually mm-hmm. a law. So there's a prohibition against oppressing the stranger. And actually, other parts of 23 are about testimony in court. And so it's actually protecting the gear against being legislated against um, unfairly. But there's also, uh, is that it for 23? Yeah, it's for 23. Uh, but it's a lot of people read, will read parts of Exodus, Deuteronomy, and Leviticus, and not realize you're reading. Not court proceedings, but yeah. you're you're reading the legal code yeah. that they actually had.
0: There's a reason that, you know, the Pentateuch is also called the law or the teachings. Mm-hmm. Like these are the mm-hmm. kind of the mandates of, of how to live um, in this society. So,
1: mm-hmm. yep. So in Deuteronomy 16 is where we really see that the ger is one of the most protected classes that you see in the legal code. Mm -hmm. So it's alongside the orphan and the widow. So we can translate that as the stranger, the orphan, and the widow. And uh, so I'm looking at 1611 through 12. So there's a few scholars who think that this uh, triad uh, is really looking at the, it's covering the majority of like helpless marginalized people who would be potentially in Israelite circles that would need the most help uh, to survive because again ger can't own land they have really no official status so they can't really survive on their own they're almost on the same level as the levites like they actually need support from mm-hmm. other people to survive Interesting
0: that's an interesting way to think about yeah, it
1: Yeah they actually can't like i think they can work but they can't own land so, obviously, so they can be laborers, but they, they don't have a place they can call their own. They yeah. would be renting on land and things like that. So, yeah, 11 and 12 says, Rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters, your male and female slaves, the Levites resident in your towns, as well as the strangers, the orphans, and the widows who are among you. Um, connecting that to the religious and social realities mm-hmm. that they had to deal with. So, when there were communal celebrations... They were invited to, which is a big deal because yeah. um, usually when you look at other, again, ancient Near Eastern cultures, you're not invited to yeah. the party <laughs> if you're not a legal resident in that sense. But they are legal residents in the sense that they are permitted to actually be part of the festivals, which is, uh, I think, a pretty big deal. Yeah, I'm learning
0: uh, so much. <laughs> this is cool. <laughs>
1: and then ten seventeen, so Deuteronomy ten seventeen through nineteen. Probably the most important one is that they're actual, Israelites were commanded to love uh, the gerim, the, mm-hmm. the strangers. It says, For the Lord your God is the God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who is not partial and takes no bribe, who executes justice for the orphan and the widow, and who loves the strangers, providing them with food and clothing. You shall also love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt." Uh, yeah so you've got these just a little quick three windows into the legal status the protections that they had the fact that they were included in communal life and uh, they actually mimicking God's actions towards strangers or supposed to love them and this is only three of the 92 instances a lot of them are repeated um, in Mm -hmm. other places but um, yeah so (laughs) there's a lot in the Hebrew Bible about this particular group of people Um, and the thing I should note before going on too that's fascinating I think to keep in mind is that this is their only designation they're gerim they're strangers there's no other with an orphan or a widow we have something to go on on who they are we know that they had parents and now they don't or they had a spouse and now they don't or a woman had a spouse and now she doesn't but strangers could be anybody so it's not just Um, men it could be women and children too so it isn't it's anybody who's not kinfolk to the Israelites it broadens the understanding of who the the gerim could be Um, because I think a lot of times you're thinking of probably men coming and looking for work Mm -hmm. and things like that so they're probably the ger but it could be anybody
0: it's it reminds me of and it makes sense because Jesus was a Jewish man. Um, but, you know, his teachings, he doesn't specifically say stranger, but, you know, he has in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 43, um, he says, you've heard that it says, love, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute for you. Persecute you, not persecute for you. <laughs> persecute. Not on your behalf, just per- Prosecute you. for you. Prosecute for you or persecute you. okay yeah i know how to read words
1: (laughs) (laughs) words are hard
0: words are real hard uh so that's a little new testament
1: that's a good Mm tie-in uh so okay so that's all i know we've taken almost 20 minutes to get to this point but that's a lot of background that i think helps can help shape how we can look at um uh, uh hagar uh to understand her a little bit more um I had a section on analytics. I'm going to say something about it real quick okay. because it ties into my research. But I'm going to make this as accessible as possible. So there's a guy... His name's Enrique Dussel. I'm
0: already lost. So,
1: <laughs> just stop. Just stop talking. What's a guy? What's a guy? <laughs> who Who's Enrique Dussel? Uh, glad you asked. No, he's a Mexi- Mexican-Argentine scholar who has actually been kicked out of a number of countries because uh, the state doesn't like what he has to say about things. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I know he's cool. Um, but his big works are the ethics of liberation and the concept he's most famous for is the philosophy of liberation. And so he, he occupies a lot of different circles and has a lot of hats. But the thing that I've been working with him, uh, not working with him, but working with his ideas that I find so integral to understanding the stranger in the Hebrew Bible and by proxy now, uh, uh, Hagar, Hagar is that this idea of analytics, it's just it, to, to boil it all down. It starts at the experience of the other. It starts at the experience of the oppressed. Okay. Um, and, to say a little bit about analectics itself is a play off of the ana-dialectic. So it is, so you probably heard the dialectical method or dialectical materialism. If you ever talked to a socialist or someone who says they're a communist or someone who really likes philosophy, um, you've probably heard the dialectic or the dialectical method. And so the dialectic can be summed, summed up as, uh, if you've ever heard of thesis, antithesis, or synthesis, mm-hmm. that's Hegel. And that probably is the best representation of the dialectic. Okay. So um, I've heard it also said problem, reaction, solution. Um, if you are a hardcore biblical scholar and you've read all the all the folks and you've read Brueggemann, he talks about uh, orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. Okay. And that's the same kind of a thing. So the dialectic is this evolutionary process of arriving at meaning through the contradictions that come up in struggling to understand something. Okay. So Anadialectic dialectic is or analectic is this beyond the dialectic so ano in greek Mm -hmm. means beyond and so the analectic is dussel's way of trying to understand what should we do and what's our responsibility to the other that has been oppressed and so he's talking in big brushes about eurocentric thought and things like that but um yeah so Combining these two, I thought we could kind of look at, at Hagar in Genesis 16 and see see what happens All here. Right. So we'll I stop. will. So for the not the first time ever, but we don't normally read through the text. But I thought in this case, it's a, such a short little passage that I would just read it, and so we kind of have it in our brain. Maybe you don't have a Bible right next to you, or you're driving or something. So I will. I will be your Bible. Uh, <laughs> 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 so um wow genesis 16 this is uh, what
0: biblical scholarship does to you. <laughs> i am the word of god i am the word
1: of god <laughs> this is genesis 16 uh one through i believe 16 and uh i'm taking this from the common english bible It's a very good translation if you don't have that one you should use that one um anyway so uh sarai abram's wife uh, had not been able to have children Since she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar, Sarai went to Abram, said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from giving birth, so go to my servant. Maybe she will provide me with children. Abram did just as Sarai said. After Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife Sarai took her Egyptian servant Hagar and gave her to her husband Abram as his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she became pregnant. But when she realized that she was pregnant, she no longer respected her mistress. Sarai said to Abram, this harassment is your fault. I allowed you to embrace my servant, but when she realized she was pregnant, I lost her respect. Let the Lord decide who is right, you or me. Abram said to Sarai, since she is your servant, do whatever you wish to her. So Sarai treated her harshly, and she ran away from Sarai. The Lord's messenger found Hagar at a spring in the desert, the spring on the road to Shur. And said, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where did you come from and where are you going?
0: Where she, did you come from? Cotton <laughs> Ijo, go? I know. Sorry. Every time I've read this passage, <laughs> I, can't,
1: I can't not hear it. Uh, she said, uh, oh. So she, she said, From Sarai, my mistress, I'm running away. The Lord's messenger said to her, Go back to your mistress, put up with her harsh treatment of you. The Lord's messenger also said to her, I will give you many children, so many they can't be counted. The Lord's messenger said to her, You are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You will name him Ishmael, because the Lord has heard about your harsh treatment. He will be a wild mule of a man. He will fight everyone, and they will fight him. He will live at odds with all his relatives. Hagar named the Lord who spoke to her, You are El Roy, because she said, Can I still see after he saw me? Uh, that that's a very uncertain part. That's mm-hmm. there's a whole bunch of the things that could that, that phrase could mean. Therefore, that well called uh Bir Ahai Roy, it's the well between Kadesh and Bered. Hagar gave birth to a son for Abram, and Abram named him Ishmael. Abram was eighty-six years old when Hagar gave birth to Ishmael for mm-hmm. Abram. So
0: before we move on, let me yeah. just say that this you shall conceive a son while a mule man, all of that Like, I feel like that is a blessing that could have been stated at the birth of many of my relatives.
1: (laughs) Are they named Ishmael?
0: They are not. Oh, okay. I will not name them in case they're listening. (laughs) That's totally fine. But you know who you are.
1: (laughs) So, yeah, uh, this is an interesting passage. I think the thing that most... There's a couple of things that jump out really quickly, especially uh, with the way the text is written. And some clues we get from the text. So the text is automatically, uh, not necessarily against Hagar, but she's already painted into a particular corner with Mm -hmm. the way that she's acting, the way the text reports on her losing respect for Sarai. Um, But also that in the very first verse that we find out that she's an Egyptian. So she's not, we know she's automatically not Mm -hmm. from, she's not kinfolk. She's not, she's not Israelite. Which I mean, Israelite was not a concept yet at this yeah. point in the narrative. But
0: she's not in the she's not in biological family of Sarai or Abram. Right, and they are biologically related, right? Yes, they are half siblings. Yep. So, is that in half si- endomic? and endom- I can't remember the word. It's something. <laughs> somebody's out there listening, going, Ugh, "You should know this word."
1: Le- leave it as a comment on in our family, reasons. Mary.
0: Yeah, let us know. Um, I'll remember it at three in the morning when I wake up, I'm like, oh, this is what I was looking for.
1: <laughs> so the fact that she's already, uh, I, despised is not the right word, I don't think, but she's automatically uh, disliked on some level in the text. Uh, she's already, so whether or not she actually did this, whether this is historical, regard narratively, literally, we, we are seeing that, because um, I think it says, yeah, and four, she no longer respected her mistress. Um, so, which is an interesting thing to think about that only once she becomes pregnant, that's when mm-hmm. Soraya loses. So,
0: one of the, uh, just as a, a reading of that, that I came across, um, Dolores Williams does a, uh, has a book called Sisters in the Wilderness The Challenges of Woman at Scott Talk. And she is, she's reading the stories of Hagar um, as. Uh, an African-American woman and how the experience of Hagar resonates with the experience of, of black women in the U S especially historically as they were enslaved and then um, sort of culturally how, how, um, how their, their experience is sort of doubly oppressed. Not only are they women in a patriarchal society, Mm -hmm. but they are black women Mm -hmm. in a, in a Eurocentric society and how, One of the things that she notes is that, you know, in the text, there's not any evidence textually to state that Hagar and Sarai had conflict prior to this whole motherhood thing. Right. Um, And so one of the things that she suggests is that maybe the reason, it's not so much that Hagar got a big head about, you know, her new status in the family, Mm. which is a suggestion that's often brought up, is Mm. that as the childbearing woman in the situation, and sometimes people think, now wife of, you know, secondary wife of Abraham, of right. Abram, um, that, you know, she just kind of lost lost a sense of her place in the hierarchy, and that made mm. Sarah mad. Mm. Um, but she suggests a reading where perhaps, you know, a more generous reading almost of Sarai is that Sarai has spent a lot of time cultivating a relationship with Hagar, has protected Hagar from, you know, the sexual advances of other people because as the slave of right. Sarai... Abram doesn't even have access, access to right? her mm-hmm. um, unless Sarai gives it, mm-hmm. which we see happening which is what here. Yep. And so perhaps Hagar feels ashamed because now that she knows she's pregnant, everybody's going to know that she was violated, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and maybe maybe her purity was a sense of pride for her mm-hmm. or some. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can never know. No, the text no. is completely silent, but yeah. I think that reading is interesting. That it could poss- it doesn't have to be about. Hagar getting you know mm-hmm. um, getting a big head about this or, or losing sense of her status but maybe upset that she's been defiled in yeah. such a way and she trusted Sarai with mm-hmm. to protect her body and Sarai betrayed that and so it's a, a sense of betrayal between them that's caused this contempt and I think that's an interesting interesting reading bit go ahead
1: mm-hmm. yeah so the i mean the real focal point is this conflict between sarai and hagar and mm-hmm. especially starting off in 6 where um, abram says to sarai to get out of the fight she's your servant <laughs> you do whatever yeah. you want to her and i think like again so thinking back to some of the stuff i talked about with the legal status of the gear and everything else, like this is in direct violation of a lot of that that Mm -hmm. the Gare was a protected status and so not only do we have someone who is occupying a lot of different spaces because we already know that she's a slave but again we're riffing on her name thinking that maybe she's a stranger um, a Gare and that way yeah so there's a lot of going on there then if Abraham is saying or Abram is saying she's your slave do whatever you want mm-hmm. to the Gare. Um, you know, do whatever you wish to her. And so there's, yeah, I don't know, there's some dissonance yeah. there with the tradition thinking about that. Yeah, but.
0: and well, I mean, thinking about, okay, so chronologically speaking, right. she, this she this story predates the all giving of, of this, the, the, law. the laws around the Gare. Sure. In reality, these stories were compiled and put down in writing after all of that stuff is established. Correct. And we see hints of, the law kind of getting retroactively applied to these patriarchs before it existed, right. um, to kind of clean up their act a little bit, or you know yeah, we exactly. can't have them violating anything. And so it's it, I think that makes it tricky because the the tradition, the sources for the for the Pentateuch and for Genesis don't always do that. They don't right. always. A good example of the cleaning up I think is is Noah's Ark. Um, if you read it closely, you'll know that. You know, we have this tradition of the animals two by two, um, Mm -hmm. but then there's this weird little note about, but seven of the clean. Yep. um, That's that's a a, that's a later priestly addition, who are very concerned with making sure that, you know, Noah. I mean, okay, he got all the animals, and we don't some of these animals we don't know why they made it on the ark, but let's make sure that all the clean ones. We had a lot of them. Um, So like, it's it's sort of the cleaning up and making sure that even though Noah had no idea what a clean versus unclean animal would be in terms of the chronology of the story. <laughs> the, the storytellers want to make sure that he still did. Um, and with, we don't yeah. see that here with, yep. with this. Uh,
1: so that's the, the main focal point is just that, yeah, between those two, between the two women. But I think probably, and you kind of alluded to it in the beginning of this episode, the probably most problematic part of, Hagar's narrative is this interaction starting in seven with the messenger of God Mm -hmm. uh, at the spring. And I mean, right out of the gate, this angel is saying, Sarai servant, Sarai slave. That she's her title is known as -hmm. as the slave and, you know, asks where you come from, where you're going. And she responds from Sarai, my, my mistress, I'm running away. And the First thing out of this thing's mouth is go back to your mistress yeah. put up with her harsh treatment of you and I think this gets glossed over by a lot of people because the very next part in 10 is this covenantal promise yeah. that she gets so
0: a similar promise to the one to Abraham
1: she's one of only I think four people to ever get the covenantal promise
0: Abram Noah? Uh, Noah yeah Noah? Phineas gets the covenant of friendship
1: yeah
0: Phineas. <laughs> We'll talk about Phineas another day, but read (laughs) Numbers 25. It is problematic. Um, So no, that's really interesting. She's one of
1: very few, this Egyptian slave woman to Sarai gets the actual covenantal blessing. Uh, So I think a lot of people just jump over the facts like, yeah, she was treated bad. Yeah, she's a slave, all this stuff. But... She's obviously favored. She gets the covenantal blessing. She gets the you know I will mm-hmm. give you many children, so many they can't be counted. Uh, and you know I but the, I think that just I can't get past that yeah. because of just the implications of that framework. Because you you can't tell someone go back to the place that's literally killing you. Yeah. You can't go go, go back to your abuser, go mm-hmm. back to the place where you're fleeing from. So in this sense it is, I mean, she's, I'm running away. This is actually where it comes yeah. in for Gerard to mean that, yeah, she's the one who's fleeing. She's running away from something, but um, yeah. So I don't know what to do with that other than say that if you <laughs> endorse a theological reasoning for returning to your abuser, you probably shouldn't.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's definitely troubling and it's, Thinking of, okay, so, using your your stuff about the stranger, the, this question of where have you come from and where are you going? So, the angel of the Lord, which I have read a few things that suggest that, at least in the Pentateuch, the angel of the Lord sometimes is just God. Like, there's not a huge difference between... Right. Like, it's it's hard to distinguish... The
1: theophanies, the yeah. The theophanies. So,
0: yeah. it's entirely possible that what this text is trying to indicate is that Hagar is having a theophany, like... Hagar is experiencing God Mm -hmm. in a form that can be experienced. Yep. Um, Yep. But regardless, an angel of the Lord is a direct agent. And so you would think if this angel of the Lord has been sent to Hagar, the angel would know all the backstory. Yeah. And so what I think is interesting here, because I think one of the things that in my tradition, I can, the way I can hear this being read is God knew Sending her back mm-hmm. is the lesser of the evils. So mm-hmm. it would be worse for her to go on. She's in more danger if she mm-hmm. goes on than if she goes back. Right. Her that it's about her survival. And I've I've heard this before. You know, I've heard things like you know, if I'm running late or I get lost or something, it's very it's very well meaning. This this idea of well, you know, maybe God was saving you from an accident up ahead or something like that. And I'm like, why do I have so much favor? If there's an accident ahead, that means somebody else was in it, and yeah. God didn't have the sense to get them lost yeah like what's the distinction why am i so much better i mean i think sometimes we just get lost Mm -hmm. i I know i do my sense of direction is horrific Mm -hmm. um (laughs) so i think this is interesting that you have god saying god or an an angel of god saying where have you come from and where are you going this this ignorance Mm -hmm. which is not uncommon in in Mm -hmm. genesis especially i mean god in in the garden is like Where are you? Where are you you at? Why are you like? Has I mean, God has to be informed of everything. Yep. Um, and so in this sense, not only is Hagar a slave or a a stranger for Sarah and Abram, but here she's a stranger to God, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that God's protection of her is to send her back, or God's maybe protection is not the right word. Response to the stranger in God's own midst is to send her back into an oppressive situation and even Dolores Williams and you can disagree or agree with her one of the ways that she reasons she does think it's really problematic but in terms of mortality rates at the time oh yeah her survival she is more likely to survive if she goes back oh yeah um, totally rather than try to deliver on her own in the desert mm-hmm. um trying to get to Egypt which is where it's, presumab- that's it's probably. it's presuming it's, that's where she's that's trying to go she's going. trying to go home mm-hmm. and so you know, and I have. I mean, yeah. It's hard. It's. I mean, it it is really hard. But, I mean, i I think I'm I'm trying to be generous here. I think this reading, with the promise of you will have multiple multiple offspring that can't be counted, all of that is a reassurance that when you return and you submit to her, you won't die. At least not immediately. Yeah, you have <laughs> uh, some hope. There, there's some hope of. Of a restoration. Yeah. It, but it, it it's hard. It really is hard to tell the enslaved to return to slavery when she has bravely, like we cannot underestimate the bravery of this woman to escape the situation. It is, it is brave for anybody to flee mm-hmm. an abusive situation. But double down on that when you're pregnant. It's the desert. Oh, yeah. It's 4,000 years ago yep. or more or... I mean, there's just so much that's going on here, but it's troubling. And I think that it's helpful to remember, if this is troubling to you theologically because your tradition has a hard time, like like we discussed in our inerrancy episode, that something bad could be in here, is remembering that maybe this isn't necessarily uh, God's opinion. It's Mm -hmm. definitely the narrator's opinion. (laughs) I mean, the narrator of this text needed her to go back and because there's a story that's being told. Mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. and so maybe helpful ways to remember this to resist this reading are to remember like, no, this isn't prescriptive. Mm-hmm. I mean that's a way to think prescriptive versus descriptive. Prescriptive right. of how we need to treat women who are fleeing abusive situations. No. Or men if fleeing abu- anybody fleeing an abusive situation. Um isn't to send them back. But in this situation that is just what happened. Yeah. And it, it is at the word of God and that's problematic but we can resist that and say mm-hmm. uh, the narrator got that part wrong
1: mm-hmm. I, <laughs> I think where I go with with some of that is so if the decision is okay Hagar needs to go back because that's where she's going to survive mm-hmm. why is God's only interaction with the character in the story to come down and tell God's protection is only to tell Hagar to go back Abram and Sarai get off completely fine with the way that Abram was said I don't care what happens to her you deal with it and Sarai was harsh enough to her that she fleed so there's no retribution back Mm -hmm. on Abram and Sarai so I can I can get to the point where yeah, maybe it was the best decision for Hagar to go back because that's where she could deliver Ishmael and she could survive there, mm-hmm. even though, though that's not the best place. But the kind of blatant go back to your mistress designating submit the... Submit to her. Submit to that, put up with the harsh treatment so that you survive, but then there's nothing. So again, the tradition defends Abram. So again, yeah. thinking with a kind of hermeneutics of suspicion and trying to understand maybe why it was written the way that it was why do the nothing happens to Abram and Soraya on this so Hagar gets chastised basically but a promise to make sure that you know that you're going to be okay but
0: well I mean I say this in jest. Sarai gets to be like a 90 plus year old woman who's pregnant so that's (laughs) got to suck
1: (laughs) no uh, yeah yeah I mean I
0: mean even more so than from what I understand, pregnancy is to be like, I've never had to experience that. Uh, but I cannot imagine it being 90 plus, probably arthritic to the nines, to the 90s.
1: Yeah. No, I, no. I don't, don't even want to mentally good. go there. Yeah, <laughs> but
0: it, I mean, all that is just evidence that these are these stories are a myth. And I don't mean that in a dismissive way. I don't mean it like, they don't matter or they're fake. Right, But they're... They're they're larger than life mm-hmm. um, because they're trying to communicate something about a God who is larger than life, mm-hmm. and so yeah, we could talk about Hagar, and we probably will. We're gonna come back to her several times because she is she is fascinating, um, and she has been read in a billion ways. And I mean, we haven't even touched on uh, Paul. Nope. Uh, I think in Galatians uh, talks about her. You know what? As followers of jesus you're descendants of the of the free woman not the slave woman and mm-hmm. um i mean that's a, and that's a tough text for new testament scholars to wrestle with because yep. his reading of the hagar's you're reading somebody who's reading the story and so you're trying to understand what paul is doing and it's it's a, it's an interesting reading of the hagar stuff because it doesn't make a lot of sense um i mean so there, that's a way womanist approaches identifying with hagar identifying Hagar and. You know, the African-American woman's experience in the United States mm-hmm. is a powerful reading. Um, and then there's another book that w- I'm just going to mention, but it's called Hagar, Sarah and Their Children, Jewish, Christian and Muslim Perspectives. And it's um, several scholars who are looking at the story of Hagar in these different traditions and how the role that she plays. And I mean, like I mentioned earlier, she's really an important role mm-hmm. in Islam. And she doesn't really get that role. In some ways, it makes sense. I mean, she's the mother of Ishmael, and Ishmael is sort of the the, the right. line that they follow. So it would make sense that she would be as elevated as we maybe elevate Sarai, but we don't elevate Sarai nearly the same way that right. Hagar is is mm-hmm. elevated. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a million ways that we can we can talk about her, and and I think we should. Mm-hmm. So, listen for our next million episodes. <laughs> <laughs> It'll
1: show up at some point. I think yeah, we'll the, bring her back again. The one concluding thought that I wanted to talk about, with kind of segueing from what I last said about uh, the terms of justice that are happening in this text, that the only real justice that's happening is Hagar is maybe saved from death. And the oppressors in the situation don't have anything happen to them. And that this framework kind of bleeds into the way in which I've read some Christians understanding immigration discourse mm-hmm. in the United States right now and for the past you know decades in that the justice that's offered to them is simply submit to our justice system and do it the right way. And that's, I can almost hear that happening in this text mm-hmm. where it's like, you got to do it the right way. This is the hierarchy over yeah. you. You need to go back and do it, even though it's bad. And our court system, especially immigration system, is not set up to actually defend people. I mean, three-year-olds are going and having to defend themselves in immigration court, kids who can't even speak English. Yeah. And we're basically, people have, not we're, I'm, I'm not saying it. I've read people who are writing and saying They need to be part of the system. And that's back to Dussel and Analectics. Like the whole point of justice is the responsibility for the other starting at their experience. And so I don't know how we can read text like this and say this is okay because you need to be part of the system when the system is the very thing that's actually making justice impossible. And so... That's why I think it's so dangerous to necessarily fall in line with, oh, well, this is what God says, and this is the the way in which it needs to be, even though it's bad, because that completely uh, shuts down any chance yeah. of real justice for the people who are, for the victims and for people who are oppressed.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: So, something to think about. Yeah. but um,
0: That there are real life consequences for this way of thinking, whether you use this text yes. to justify that way of thinking or not is moot the the ideology that mm-hmm. supports this text of return and submit and all of that is we have our own ways of using that and you know go back to your abusive husband you made a promise to stay married forever mm-hmm. well that was before yep. things went sideways mm-hmm. um and so i i think that we can resist those ideologies and we can do it faithfully and recognize that these texts are, I've said this a million times before, I think, in my life. These texts are thousands of years old mm-hmm. and reflect a society wildly different from our own that could not imagine the world that we live in. Could not imagine that you and I would be talking into a magic <laughs> metal box that would bro- could broadcast to anywhere in the world and maybe to alien planets. Yep. The technology exists. They could not fathom running water. hmm let alone what we're doing right now. And so to try to make one-to-one comparisons is an impossibility. Mm -hmm. It is unfair to the text. It is unfair to ourselves and our futures. And so reading these texts should be read cautiously and with an awareness of the time and space and cultural distance between ourselves and Abram and Sarai and call nonsense nonsense and Mm -hmm. say it might be in there. And that doesn't mean it's not supposed to be in there. It doesn't mean that these writers were trying to mislead us and make us live in a rotten world. Right. Um, but it is a reflection of their own cultures, and it's descriptive in those ways. And in those ways, it's really useful. Uh, but it does not have to be prescriptive to be sacred. Right. And I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. So.
1: Yeah, that's I think it for this week.
0: Yeah. Let's let it's, <laughs> let's have it now. Uh, <laughs> please rate, review, and subscribe.
1: We're on everything.
0: We're on everything, and we'll. Uh, try to get back to a better regularly scheduled podcasting. podcasting schedule but uh it just got a little crazy the last few weeks but yeah it's gonna start normalizing hopefully <laughs> it should life has never been normal so all right y'all well thanks for listening and uh amen and see you